0: This is a really special episode of Kiddush Club. We have with us uh, an esteemed guest, and uh, we're sitting together with Mr. Ben Broffman, who is a world-renowned attorney. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's definitely very, very cool being able to, to sit here. We've been uh, fans for a while. I mean, we've we've followed your career to a degree because when it comes to Jews, we don't have that many people that are... You know famous and uh I in think the, the whole the Jewish, Jewish community
0: eye. the whole Jewish community at large I think is following your your journey and because it's so it's it's so much it's it's in the spotlight so much and you've done some amazing work uh around the world, obviously with famous people, but also like the lesser known work that you've done for the Jewish community um in cases that are that are high-profile, but in the Jewish community.
1: Not a lot of my work, much to your dismay, might be uh, in the Jewish community. I mean, uh, in the Jewish community, that obviously gets a lot of uh, attention. But, um, you know, a lot of my work you don't read about. A lot of my work involves uh, people who, while under investigation, come to me. And some of my greatest successes is keeping people from being prosecuted. So nobody ever reads about them, because once prosecuted, your life is never the same, even if I manage to find a way to extricate you. So I appreciate what you're saying, but um, I'm a Jewish guy. I'm (laughs) Shoma Shabbos. I happen to be Orthodox. I'm uh, unusual in my uh, career path, I would think, but uh, I am what I am, and this is what
2: I do. Excellent. I am just hearing a little bit about your thoughts about just From your perspective, a lot of the things that we're seeing in the country, anti-Semitic attacks, for example, across the country, according to a New York Times article, they're up 167% last year. What do you think is going on?
1: Well, I think, unfortunately, you know, Jewish blood has always been cheap. And um, I think, on balance, uh, what's going on is not really news. It may be, you know, we're in a much more... Um, civilized and also uncivilized time. So at the end of the day, I think uh, Jews have been vulnerable throughout my life, and um, it now becomes perhaps more fashionable to beat up a Jew or attack a Jew. And I think also what you need to understand is that we have uh, instant media uh, coverage, and everything is spontaneous. You know, when I was... uh, in court one day when I was representing uh, Dominic Strauss kahn who was the head of the IMF about uh, ten years ago um, he was arrested the case got extraordinary coverage because there was an allegation of powerful you know white man who was internationally recognized as an economic genius uh, ultimately the case was dismissed and you know he went on to you know not ever have the same life he had uh, going into that episode but You know, I remember standing in court uh, watching someone with an iPad uh, posting. Um, And I looked down, I read over his shoulder, and I said, "Um, if you wait 10 minutes, I think you'll see that what you're uh, posting is wrong. So if you wait 10 minutes, I think you'll see that you're wrong and you won't be embarrassed. And he said, I won't be embarrassed, I have to post now because... They're all posting now, so maybe they'll all get it wrong and ultimately we'll all get it right. And to me it was kind of stunning because his posting of incorrect information went out everywhere and then his reposting of correct information went out everywhere and nobody cared. And it was really, to me, it was like, wow, that's pretty remarkable. You know, I have not great tech skills, But, you know, I can work now an iPhone, I could work a BlackBerry, I can email, I can text. But some of the, you know, stuff that you can do with modern technology, I rely on, you know, people here uh, to help me through it. And I'm constantly amazed. I have young lawyers working for me who I can give an assignment to and they come back 30 minutes later and they finished. And I look at them and I said, this is kind of remarkable because when I got these assignments as a young lawyer, you know, it could take me a couple of hours or a couple of weeks. And, you know, you people can find stuff that is right and correct and accurate. I'm not certain it's a good thing because I would labor over this assignment and you get it instantaneously. So it is, it is
2: what it is. For sure. How do you think it's affecting your industry? I mean, in the, in the, aside from the work... How is it affecting cases? Uh, uh, Do you find that it's influencing how the cases progress? Are they moving faster, for example? Because it doesn't seem that way.
1: Well, it doesn't seem that way to you, but we used to get a call from the prosecutor saying, you can come down and get the discovery material and uh, bring a U-Haul because you're going to get 50 boxes of documents. And today they, you know, hand me a little uh, Piece of uh, thumb drive, thumb drive, and I give it to somebody here, and they figure out how to use it. Then everything's on there. So is it faster? I don't know. It's not. It doesn't seem faster. But when you're on trial in a courtroom, it's sort of instant- instantaneous um, reaction. And some of the judges are like me; they're dinosaurs when it comes to technology. But they have young clerks who help them. Through it, And some of the younger judges
0: have great tech skills, but I'm not certain it's a good thing necessarily. I would love to know how you feel that it affects just the younger generation as far as a work ethic goes. Because you had to pour over cases for hours, days, weeks, when, and they don't have to do nearly enough work. Do you think it's affecting the generation as a whole, and is it a bad thing? It might not be a bad thing uh, I'm, I'm not
1: certain it's a good thing or a bad thing, and I don't know enough about the you know, the technology to make that comment. I will tell you, it it gives a young associate more time to do a lot, many things at the same time. So it broadens their skill set in terms of being able to identify projects and finish them. Um, And, you know, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not a good thing. But, you know, I'm just not the right person to ask uh, technology questions. But, I deal with it every day. And to me, it's sort of stunning. I mean,
0: I just, I'm i just curious if you see a difference in the work ethic of... I uh, mean, in
1: the work product? Productivity. Yeah. Let's say okay. productivity okay. in the workplace. I, th- I think productivity in the workplace, yeah, it's amazing. We get accomplished in a very short time in terms of, you know, do they, do they take away the same um, lessons that I learned the hard way? I, I'm not certain, you right. know, and I don't know... Enough, and some are some are better than others. I, I can tell you that in some of the cases now that we have uh, the complexity of the cases is over the moon, as I like to say. You know, from watching too many, you know, re, reruns of the honeymooners. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like over the moon. Um, you know, and I I get it. I understand it. I don't know if I get over the moon by myself, but. You know, I'm a good trial lawyer, but then part of being a good trial lawyer is surrounding yourself by people who know what they're doing, just help you work your way through the material. There's no shortcut for me because I still need to understand and read
0: and very uh, much work my way through uh, the paper. Well, the good Uh, news is is that there's nobody that can replace what you do because as many great people as you surround yourself with – Nobody can stand in a courtroom and talk to a jury like you can. Well, you know, that
1: I think is a compliment. I don't disagree with what you're saying. (laughs) But, you know, on the other hand, you know, in some of the cases, talking to a jury is important, uh, but in many cases, you need to understand what you're saying before you say it. And the worst thing you want to see happen in a courtroom is say something that uh, a young assistant United States attorney or assistant district attorney who knows how to use the technology by themselves, you know, can essentially find a document that suggests that you don't know what you're talking about. So I think the worst thing you can do in the courtroom is, you know, A, make a serious mistake and B, lose your credibility with a a jury. And, you know, thus far, I think I've been uh, um, good, lucky. And I, you know, I have a friend who says, you know, rule one is, You need to have Mazel, and rule two is see rule one. You know, (laughs) you need to be good at what you do, but you also need to, on occasion, catch a break.
2: So let me ask you the, uh, I mean, obviously we're coming out of COVID. How has it affected the industry? I mean, I assume everything's back basically to normal?
1: I I haven't been on trial for uh, almost two years. Really? Yeah, and, you know, part of the reason is COVID, um, and part of what happened in COVID is. Essentially, the, the court's shut down, and uh, now that we're coming out of COVID, uh, there are people who've been sitting in jail for two years who get first uh, shot at getting a courtroom and it opens because my clients have uh, been on bail. Uh, most of them, if not all of them, have been on bail. So they want their day in court, and, you know, and my uh, you know, advice is don't uh, seek speedy justice. <laughs> Because sometimes you get it and you're not happy. So if you you can't go to jail if you haven't been convicted. So sit back, calm down, and uh, be grateful for some of these delays.
2: Did you miss it? Did you miss the trials?
1: Part of it, but you know I've been doing it for more than uh, forty-four years. That's a lot of trial. It's a lot of legwork. And you know if you're asking me, do I miss it? Some of it, but there are a lot of cases that you really can't win. So going to trial is not really the answer. And, you know, part of what we do, people don't understand it, but part of what we do is damage control, meaning if someone comes to you and they're facing 20 years and you figure out a way to get them, you know, six months or a year and a day or 18 months, um, it's better. But many times they're not happy because they don't really want to go to jail even for an hour. So
2: For sure. I, uh, As we sit here in your office, uh, can't help but notice some of the court sketches do you have a favorite case? like do you have a case that you look back and say, why well, you know this case, I'm really proud of that one that we did a, that was a master stroke
1: Well there there are uh, I'm happy to say there are many that I look back on that had uh, you know great outcome. There you are know, one or two in particular that I you know talk about some got more uh, notice than others. I mean, I got an acquittal in the Puff Daddy case, which is still you know, a major accomplishment in my life, professional accomplishment. Um, And yet, uh, you know, I often tell people that we got a mixed verdict in the Shkreli uh, case, but that mixed verdict uh, was, to be honest with you, something that me and my team are as proud of as we are of any of the acquittals. Because, you know, picking a jury, people came up to us and would unabashedly say to us and the judge, you know, I hate this guy. This is a one of the worst people that ever lived. And, you know, getting a jury to acquit him of five out of the eight counts. And if he had, you know, behaved himself, I don't think he would have gotten the seven-year sentence he got. Um, I think maybe he gets 18 months, maybe he gets a year and a day. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I said something which has been quoted around the world sometimes, I wanted to hug him, and sometimes I wanted to punch him in the face, (laughs) which is exactly how uh, we felt. It it seems about right. I'll tell you another story that you're not going to edit, because it's a great quote, and it's about a high-profile case. I represented Plexico Burris, who was a New York Giants football player who shot himself in the foot, and uh, unfortunately, you know, he won the the Super Bowl by making an incredible catch. And it happened right after Mayor Bloomberg, God bless him, you know, re, you know, produced the new gun law that guaranteed that you had to go to jail for three years. So, you know, he happened at the wrong time. And, you know, one day, you know, it took me a year and a half to get him two years. Uh, but um, we were sitting around one day, and I said to him, I got to ask you a question because that's not every day that I get to... Ask a question of a professional football player," he said um, I. "said I understand that you have great hands and you have uh, great speed and you're a big, tall guy who runs very fast and always gets to the ball. So my question is: you catch the ball and you have two, three hundred pound, uh, you know, human giants about <laughs> to crush you, and after you catch the ball and you're about to be crushed, you manage to look down and put." both of your feet in bounds, and you always manage to put your feet like two inches from the line. And how do you do that? And he looked at me and he said, that's what I do. And I thought that was a great quote. I've used it. You know, people say, how do you cross examine someone? That's what I do. You know, doctor is doing a credible operation. How do you do that? That's what I do. It's a great quote. It's simple. It's, you know, that's what I do. Straight into the point. And it's straight into the point and then it And it means, well, it means well when he says it. So.
2: so this is something that obviously the whole Jewish world is talking about. But I think the world in general is talking about it, specifically about the bail reform that went on in New York. Uh, you obviously defend criminals to a large part. And uh, we were just wondering, how do you feel? What are your feelings about bail reform in New York specifically?
1: I think it's a stupid law. <laughs> I, you know, it, it helps me on rare occasions when, you know, I represent someone who's, you know, charged with the crime that they may have to. But most of my clients can, A, afford bail, B, the crimes they commit, you know, it's a bond, they sign it. and But, you know, the people who are on the street, you know, committing havoc in New York and it's, you know, they get released um, even though they have an extensive criminal record and even though some of their crimes involve seriously hurting people and they get released and they throw somebody in front of the subway and people react as you know, a normal person would. If that person were required to post bail, they wouldn't be back on the street so quickly and so easily. So I think it's a stupid law. I think the people who passed it meant well, but I don't think they really thought it through. And I think ultimately it's going to be a law that's going to be... Uh, Not reversed, but it doesn't have any bells and whistles on it. And judges are frustrated. And I think more and more uh, judges I speak to want to just have the discretion to lock somebody up and keep them there at least until they can post some kind of bail. And the people who, you know, help write the law basically concluded that, you know, if someone is poor so that they can't post even $500 bail, you know, if they don't get out, they're gonna be sitting in jail for six months, a year, more than they would ever get if they pled guilty and simply got sentenced to the crime. So it's it's complicated for a criminal offense lawyer to say that it's a stupid law. I know this business and I think there are some elements to the law that unfortunately have, you know, racial overtones because a lot of the people who are committing crimes are are people of color. And the crimes that they commit impact on the quality of life that, you know, people get to enjoy or don't enjoy. So it's hard for me to have that uh, discussion because most of the people in the community where I live and work are very either against it or very much in favor of it. And most of the people who argue the issue really don't have my experience.
2: I mean, you saw even... uh Republican candidate for governor, Lee Zeldin, the guy who attacked him, was out on bail that same day. Yeah,
1: I'm not a big fan of his, so don't get me started on the (laughs) I would love to hear why. I I don't really want to go into him or Trump or any of those people because, you know, this is a public podcast. You know, I don't really want to be quoted on Political mm-hmm. views and, you know, living in the Orthodox community, that's a very touchy <laughs> yes. subject sure. these sure. days, sure. so it's, I'm not going there.
2: One question I had is, I mean, you mentioned you're doing, you're in, you've been in law for 44 years. It's a long time. You obviously have very strong feelings about politics. Did you ever think about going into politics? No. Not interested.
1: No, not interested at all. I've represented a lot of politicians. Maybe
0: that's why. Over the years?
1: <laughs> no, I th- I don't think it's why. I think people who go into politics uh, don't uh necessarily do it for the right reason. You know, some do it because they like the limelight and I have more than my share of the limelight, so it's not a draw. And you know, some people do it because uh They want the limelight. I don't know what else to tell you. Some people... I mean, some people want to affect change. Some people. Handful. Handful are doing it for the right reasons. But it becomes, you know, once you make that decision and you get into the business of politics, you realize that there are uh, temptations, there are uh, vulnerabilities, and, you know, the people who I've represented in political... uh, you know, corruption cases, for example, it never occurred to them when they went into politics that they would one day be sitting in my office uh, petrified about, uh, you know, getting prosecuted. And the the political world today is such that I don't think uh, a politician enjoys the presumption of innocence. I think most politicians come into a courtroom
0: are presumed to be guilty of something. Well, wouldn't you say that that's true of any profession that's going to have a level of power— is gonna is gonna be vulnerable to corruption. I mean when you talk about so many it, cases. I don't think it's
1: the same way. I don't think it's the same uh, temptation, I don't think it's the same vulnerability. And I think, you know, it's I don't know that you can make that an analysis and, and you know, business people for the most part who are making a good living, they don't have any reason right. to get involved in, you know, nonsense. Part of the problem with politicians is they're not making a good living. You know, they get you know a job, and suddenly you know they're told your salary is you know eighty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> right, right. But you got to live on it, and you got four kids, and they're going to college, and suddenly you know you're in a pose- in a profession
0: that's not helpful. Right. Or whatever. You're vulnerable to somebody saying, "Hey, here's a suitcase full of."
1: No, but it's not a suitcase. It's you know both for this. Uh, Bill, it's going to help me, you know, tremendously, and then I'll underwrite your next. You underwrite your well. Next isn't that campaign. the whole
0: lobbyist right. profession?
1: Yeah, but it's that's why it's it's hard to make those uh, distinctions. So, but uh, do you move on to another subject, or this will end the podcast?
2: <laughs> I, I was actually going to go, I was actually going to ask also on how you feel about uh, politicians who are able to invest in the stock market. Do you have any opinion on that? That that's starting to get a lot more press. And I wonder, you know, they for invest example, in a stock market yes.
1: or use positions of power to get information that causes you to invest in a way that you then later need a criminal defense lawyer. That's why <laughs> that's, a good question. that's why I don't think this is a productive discussion, because most of the politicians who invest in the stock market aren't really doing it because they have a good idea. And they wake up one morning and they say, Boy, I should invest in this company. Because I've read the reports and I think it's going to, you know, take off. M- most of them have access to the kind of information where you know it's a hard, it's a hard area to discuss as a civilian. I've argued these cases to juries, and you know, you're talking to jurors who you know work for the transit authority and they make fifty thousand dollars a year and they you know take home thirty and they're angry. Um, then they see someone who is a Congress person who is suddenly, you know, reaping millions um, in connection with an investment. So it's a hard case to argue. But there are a lot of other subjects that you would probably want to discuss where I would be more forthcoming. So this is... No,
2: definitely, definitely. I, I only mention these because these, a lot of, these are like hot hot button topics. But what we could talk about, I mean, one thing we would like to know uh, about is really at where your career and your Jewish identity merge.
1: Well, you know, now it's it's different than 45 years ago. Uh, 45 years ago, I was a young, uh, you know, lawyer walking into a courtroom, and suddenly judges are trying to, you know, set a trial date. And, uh, you know, I'm standing there and saying, excuse me, but, you know, that's Rosh Hashanah, and then it's... Uh, Yom Kippur, and then it's uh, Sukkot, and it's the first day Sukkot, and the last day Sukkot. You know, I heard a uh, you know a comedy routine by one of your, uh, I think, prior guests. I don't know whether it was Modi or Goldman. I don't know, but you know, it was pretty. It was pretty funny, except to a guy like me who lived through that. You know, you know, I can't even explain Shmini Etzeris to my grandchildren. <laughs> How do you explain it to a judge, judge. in Ohio? who looking at you like you're making this stuff up, you know. It's easier to say just, you know, I'm going to have open-heart surgery than try and explain, the, you know, second-day yuntif. I mean, there are judges in New York who, you know, don't believe you when you say there are two days of Rosh Hashanah really? because they only pick one day. Now, that's 45 years ago. Today, you know, I walk into a courtroom, and most of the judges, you know, look at the calendar, and they say, which days in October can't you work? you know, Mr. Oh. Braffman. So I've come a long way, but I think part of that is because I've been uh I've been consistent, I've been honest, and I've been sort of inflexible. Now I will tell you, you know, my late brother was a rub He spent his whole life in Khnoch. He was a Talmud Chachem. He, you know, passed away five years ago, and in his name, you know, I built a cheder in Yerushalayim, and my son is the Manahil and it's, you know, it's great. It's a good it's a good cause. But, you know, I once was on trial in New Jersey and the jury was deliberating and there were eight, I think eight or nine or 10 defendants in those days when they tried so many people together. And, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, Aaron, and I got to tell you that, you know, the jury is out. Uh, I've said to the judge, you know, if they don't have a verdict by Friday, I got to take off because it's, you know, Sukkos, and he looked at me and he says, you don't have to come here, but this continued trial is going to continue. And you can't lose two days. While it. And I asked him what I should do. And he said, you should go to court. Now, you should walk to court. And you should um, not write when you're in court. And you should have somebody with you who could take notes if they have to. So you can sit there and not make a chelal Hashem by insisting on you know, forcing the issue. And to be honest with you, he was right and it you know what didn't matter whether the judge was jewish and un-jewish he didn't doubt me he just said you know mr Braffman, we've been on trial for three months we're now at a critical stage and you know and my my client uh you know really didn't want to continue without me in the courtroom understandable and, you know, yeah it is understandable <laughs> and at the end of the day you know i stayed in the hotel in camden new jersey which in itself is a you know, a, yeah. a moment I will never uh, <laughs> forget. forget. Because you know, the motorcycle guys were driving their motorcycles up and down the hallways. So inside, oh really? So, yeah, it was horrible. So you know, I walked to court in a in a snowstorm. Um, I it was it's a long story and it's not worth repeating. But at the end of the day, yeah, you know, I I sat there and you know. At,
0: At the time, did you feel like it was unfair? No, I thought it was right. It made sense. I
1: thought it was right. I just wanted to ask my brother for, you know, someone who I respected telling me that I'm not going to go straight to hell if I stay in (laughs) there. And, you know, he was, that's what I admired about my brother. You know, he was a, you know, a real uh, Talmudic scholar and a, you know, a very religious man and very, you know, careful. But, you know, he was also a practical, smart guy. He understood what I did. For a living, he understood that my client's life was essentially. and I'm not a doctor who's, you know, driving a car on on Yontif because you know they get called to the hospital for an emergency. You know that you argue whether somebody else could have covered. No, the doctor gets a, a pass. No, I don't get as many concessions as the doctors do, but I'll never forget that when he said to me, "Just go, go to court."
0: Yeah, I mean, going to jail, I believe, is almost on par with... with
1: well, you know, until you, until you the ask al- the al- wrong al- rabbi, it doesn't right. necessarily <laughs> translate. So it's <laughs> a question sure. of who you ask. You was, know?
2: was your brother, was he your rabbi?
1: No, he wasn't my rabbi. He was, though, on occasion, when I had an issue, you know, I would, uh, you know, ask him. And he always, you know, gave me, uh, you know, his honest uh, assessment. And I, I respected it.
0: So... Did you ever have any other situations that needed for you to to do work on Shabbos, but in such a way where it wasn't where it wasn't well, directly know, look,
1: conflicted? The, I've had emergencies in my professional career that were real emergencies, and yeah, I, I I did, but they didn't always rise to the level where I needed to ask him because I instinctively knew, right. you know, what I needed to do. So I, I don't want to go into the details, but you know, there were examples of you know. you know a a young kid who was you know arrested and unless i would you know help get him out you know yeah i think he could have been you know raped or murdered if he didn't get out so yeah
0: without question that would be that sounds like without question you'd You'd get
1: Yeah, but I, the I know a lot, I know a lot of lawyers who would disagree with you and disagree with me.
0: Do
2: and, those lawyers are they allowed to demand from the judge to change? Just out of curiosity. No, it's a, you can't. Like you can't say religious grounds. No,
1: it's very rare that you get a judge to re- accuse himself or herself. And sometimes when you, you know, when you shoot the lion and you just wound the lion, you got a very angry, angry lion <laughs> that you got to live with for the rest of the case. So
2: how did you end up? How did it come about that you built a cheder? in Israel in memory of your brother? Like, how did that come about? Well, you know, as my son's...
1: It started as a small uh, cheder, and my son, you know, lives in Shkol, and he's a, you know, very, very uh, bright, capable, young uh, man, and, you know, he really wasn't happy with the educational programs that, you know, existed there for his own children. And, you know, in some of those places, if a kid had anxiety, it was a little bit of a... You know, troublemaker, they would just say, you got to put them on Ritalin. You know, that was their uh, response. So, you know, a lot of the people in Romano school were Anglo-Saxon transplants. And, you know, he started a, you know, small school. And we now have 300, wow. you know, students and uh, a staff of more than 25. Wow. And when it when my brother died, you know, I spoke to him and I said, I think this be a good idea. You know, to name and and my, my brother, my, my brother and my son were very close, <coughs> and it was a good idea. So i have become a mashulik in my old age. <laughs> do You guys want to, you know, you know pony sure pon- up? Will. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll give you absolutely. the name, and I'll send you an envelope. A thousand percent. So I We'd became some, somebody who I've been trying to avoid my whole life. The irony You've of your ironies. Own worst enemy.
2: Yeah. Yes, that, that's absolutely true. How much do you follow Israeli politics? By the way, we know you you don't want to talk too much about American politics. How involved are you in Israeli politics? I'm
1: I am involved to the extent that I I read everything about it. I'm fascinated, you know, by the fact that uh, you could have three uh, presidential, prime ministerial elections in an hour. Um, you know, so unbelievable. It's, but it's the <laughs> it's, it's the least of the problems that Israel faces. I mean, you know, they're, the, they're still the only country in the world who, after they get attacked, you know the response from the world is, you know, use a moderate response. Right. It's the only, right. the only country that true. ever ever has to deal with that. And, you know, when there's a war in, in Israel, you know, sometimes they do an analysis of the body count. You know, there are, you know, 12 Israelis that uh, were shot and there are, you know, 200 Palestinians who, were, you know, and I once, uh, you know, did a mock cross-examination of, a, you know, a Hamas... Uh, general. And I said, let me ask you a question. Uh, when you shoot one of these homemade rockets into the air, and do you have any idea where they're going to land? No. And when, they, when they're when they aimed at a civilian uh, uh, target, are you hoping it lands in a school or a kindergarten or in a dining room? So you hope to kill as many Jews as possible? I says, yeah, that's our objective. And the only reason that doesn't happen. It's either because you don't know what you're doing or because, you know, Iron Dome intercepts the rockets. Yes, so you think it's fair that, you know, and when you put a rocket launcher in a UN facility or in a school or and, you know, Israel has to pinpoint, you know, destroy that rocket launcher because, you know, that's where you're shooting from. Uh, do you think when the civilian casualties are undoubtedly going to, Result that that's all Israel's fault. Why did you put the rocket launcher there? Because You were hoping that Israel would kill civilians, right? So it's a stupid cross-exam. Is that recorded? I would love what? to hear. No, that. No, but it's a. It's. I'm just doing it. So now it's recorded. <laughs> it no, is now, but, but it is. You uh, heard it it's here a first. very You don't need to be Ben Brafman to do that cross. It's a simple, you know, questions and answers. Of,
2: but yet you see that, like you said, but you see the matter. world doesn't see it that it way. It doesn't
1: matter because again I say Jewish blood is cheap. cheap. And there's been anti-Semitism since, you know, before the Shoah, the Holocaust. And now when I talk to, you know, high schools around the country, there are, uh, the non-Jewish students don't have any idea what you're talking about. The Jewish students really don't even have any idea what you're talking about. And some of them, the yeshivas, you know, they have to, you know, teach these courses so that... uh, The children grow up knowing, but you know, we're now in a duration where there's only a handful of survivors left. So, the eyewitnesses uh, to what happened, you know, they're going to leave someday soon. And, uh, you know, you have people who watch Schindler's List and they, you know, equate it with uh, Spielberg's genius. They don't uh, equate it as that's what really happened. So, the reality of that movie is. Very powerful, but it's also, that gives them the, you know, it's sort of like watching Top Gun, La Havdel, as we say. You know, is it exactly like that? It's pretty close, close right? Yeah. Close enough so that you know what it's like to, you know, be in the in the cockpit. But it's all Hollywood, you know? Right,
2: right. Do you feel that the environment, I mean, this is talked about a lot, do you feel like the environment in, let's say, a lot of the big universities today is contributing to that feeling. Yeah,
1: of... it's undoubtedly. And I don't think it's the big universities. You know, it's the Ivy League universities. Yeah, and then you have it at NYU here, and you have it at City College. And I think a lot, uh, a lot uh, you know, results in the... A lot of this is resulting from, again, I go back to, you know, Jewish blood is cheap, and the Palestinians have only, you know, like Golda Meir said, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. But what they managed to do very well is public relations. And Israel doesn't do public relations well. Well, You know, they used to, you know, put on, on, you know, I remember when they had, you know, old retired army generals as their spokesperson and they didn't speak English well enough to even understand. So that would be, you know, your debating partner when they would have one of these, you know, Oxford trained Palestinian, uh, you know, geniuses who would, uh, you know, speak eloquently even though they didn't know what they were talking about so i think at the end i think at the end of the day i think the basic premise is that um as far as the world is concerned you have israel that's managed to become a superpower in you know 74 years against all it, odds against incredible odds and they have uh you know it. it somebody told me uh Last week, that you know, the drought in L.A., for example, is so severe that they're telling people you can't now uh, water your lawns and you can't water your crops and you're not gonna be able. And you and, can't charge
0: your electric cars. Right. No, yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: but they they try to explain to the power brokers down there many years ago. Look at Israel. Israel is in the desert and they managed to irrigate their crops and and they managed to do it by you know. Genius, But it's genius that's transportable. You could figure out how to do this.
2: Absolutely. They're working together with some of the Arab countries now that they've the Abraham Accords and they're sharing that uh, technology. Well, we'll Um,
1: see. We'll see what happens in the long run.
2: Absolutely. What do you what would you say uh, in terms of what's going on? Let's say, for example, uh, I'm reading it now coming from Israeli news that the Biden administration has now said that the Iran deal is off the table that Iran is playing games, basically. I'm paraphrasing. That they don't want to give the uh, International Atomic Energy Association access. And that was a sticking point for the United States. And they're saying that they're not able to go through, at this point, with the Iran deal, with Iran. Uh, What are your feelings about that whole Iran deal? Well,
1: I think any intelligent person who's been watching world affairs for the last 50, 60 years, I think should understand that if Iran ever gets a nuclear weapon... And I think, you know, Israel is the first country they're going to, you know, obliterate if they could. And I think ultimately if Israel thought that that was about to happen, I think you would probably have an attack by Israel on Iran and they would, you know, destroy their nuclear program. And I think they could do it now if they... You think they could? Yeah, I think they could, but I think they don't want to have to face world condemnation unless it's absolutely necessary. And and today...
2: You think they would do without the United States approving?
1: I don't think they would care about the United States really? approval. Really? I mean, it's
2: their really? existence.
1: Right. I understand that very, many countries would be rushing to be the first to condemn them. And maybe, you know, the United States would be on that list. But I also think that a lot depends on what evidence you could find that, A, they're close to having a nuclear bomb, and B, is Israel capable of doing it without starting a war? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, Israel's going to have to make a decision. You know, is it more terrible for Israel to face world condemnation or obliteration? And I think that's an easy question. Right. To answer.
2: For sure. But like you said their their PR is not it's great. It's terrible. It's really not great. It's terrible. I mean, As
1: someone who deals with the media all the time, I'm sort of stunned because I could do a much better job of defending Israel. I was
2: just going to ask you that yeah, question.
1: but I'm not being approached by them to do it.
2: <laughs> Let's uh, I'll, we'll take an example. The Israeli military admitted that Shireen Abu Akla was likely killed by Israeli fire. Yeah,
1: but I think that I don't know whether so that's what would you, I don't know what that How do you, what,
2: how do you present that in a better light for Israel.
1: I don't know that there is a better light. And I also think that, you know, timing is, uh, you know, important. And, you know, today most of the world doesn't even know who she is. So, you know, you know, the world forgets right away in some cases, except, you know, if, if the Jew does it.
2: For sure. So sometimes less is more is what you're saying. Sometimes. Don't, like, the same thing with your, uh, with some of your clients, keep your mouth shut and uh, let it, let it slow down. What do you, what would you say we, we mentioned a little bit about the universities and, and how difficult it is. Do you have any feelings about telling some of the younger people that are going into this field today, what advice would you have for them?
1: What, what field are you talking about?
2: In law, specifically defense, criminal defense, for example. I, trial
1: I, law. You know, To be honest with you, I'm asked this question a lot. My personal view is it's, it's not a growing arm of the profession. I also think that unless someone actually needs a person like me, um, I'm the first person people look to vilify when uh, you know suddenly you get an acquittal of somebody who you know the evidence suggests that they may have been guilty. And I think the only people in the room who are standing up and applauding are the you know individual defendant and their immediate family. And even there, sometimes you don't see the immediate uh, family. So it's a tough profession. I think it's a tough profession uh, that may not be. As viable as it was when I was sort of breaking into it, there are a, there's a lot of competition. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, um, today it's far more difficult to have a lot of success. Um, the government has gotten better at what they do. The technology and the electronic um, surveillance programs are much more powerful than they were when I was, uh, you know, going out and, and trying to do this. So and, that equals
0: like less wiggle room for, for an argument.
1: Well, it, you know, it, it makes a lot of cases just not tryable. Right.
2: So we are called the Kiddush Club, and one of the things we like to do is talk a little bit about Kiddush Clubs, but I know the hour is uh, running late, but what do you do to relax?
1: Not go to a Kiddush Club. <laughs>
2: <laughs> really? No Kiddush Clubs for you?
1: No, I think no whiskey, I, no tequila. I didn't say that. I uh-huh. said I said <laughs> that you know the kiddish clubs uh, in my uh, generation and in my uh, shul in particular they occur you know right during davening you know and during you know davening or at least the you know part of the service you know you see twenty thirty men just pick themselves up and leave and then they come back and whether they're drunk or not <laughs> is a is really questionable. But it's I don't you know if I had you know. I think of my, first of all, you know, I'm not the right person to ask this question because, you know, when I uh, go to shul, I go there for a couple of reasons. One, you know, it's, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not a tzaddik, uh, but, you know, it's something I grew up with. I, I go to a big shul and I like it. Um, and I, but but if you watch me in shul, you know, the only people I sit with are my grandchildren. Um, and most people don't want to sit next to me and chew because everyone will think they have a problem <laughs> and why is he otherwise sitting? And, you know, to be honest with you, the people who sit down and say, uh, well, let me ask you about this guy's case, and I look at them and I say, if you were in his position, would you like me to talk about your case? So leave me alone. Uh, the other thing is I don't really talk a, a lot of lush and horror anymore, and the place where a lot of lush and horror gets spoken is in shul in davening, during davening or in the kiddush the kiddush Horses. club? Yeah. And you know, to be honest with you, um, I think there are a lot of shuls in the five towns. Young Israel of Woodmere uh, is now a dry uh, shul. It's called uh, the Young yes, Israel it's of Catching On. Absolutely. Young Israel of Young you know, Lawrence Cedarhurst is a dry uh, shul. And once you take you know liquor out of the Equation. I'm not certain people are going to the kiddish Club for a piece of, you know, stale herring. herring. You know, it's just not going to be productive. So, you know, my shul is not a dry <clears throat> shul. And I'm not, you know, I make uh, a Kiddush once a week on a small glass of, uh, you know, scotch. I don't like it, but it's, you know, it's kiddish. But, um, you know, I see the people who go to the kiddish Club. They're basically, you know, the shuls uh, eat the or they're the, you know, people who have a, uh, I don't think it's necessarily a drinking problem. And I think, you know, it's up to the rabbis in the community uh, to police that. And, you know, our shul now has a new rabbi, and he's relatively younger than the rabbi who retired. And I think what he's doing is he's sort of taking stock of his new surroundings. And to his credit, he's not looking to make, you know, you know, just changes that are going to you know create uh, conflict. So I think he's going to you know take his time and you know and I and I think he's going to ultimately be a good uh, a good uh, rabbi. And I think you know one of the you know problems uh, we have always had in the in the from community is uh, you know people like to gossip, and sure. you know one of the things that the you know Chafetz you know Chaim Foundation does is they give out these little, you know, placards that you put on your Shabbos, Shabbos table, table. Sure. and it basically reminds people not to talk lush and hara. And if you impose that as a real, real serious, you know, of avera sin in most modern Orthodox communities, you'd have either completely silent meals <laughs> or, you know, you would have uh, people talking about school or talking about, you know... Uh, and you're right, there's a polarized community where, you know, you see people get into uh, arguments when they, you know, press certain hot button uh, subjects. So I don't I don't do it. I don't I have aggravation all week long in this in this job. <laughs> I don't look for aggra- for just- I don't look for aggravation on the on the weekend. So it depends on you know, who I'm having lunch with and who I'm uh, and I think uh it is what it is. Well, yeah. as Plexico Burris would say that's what I do, what I do. You know, yeah. That's what I do <laughs>
0: yeah. I have a question just I, I you've said publicly that you are a Dafyomi learner you're still keeping up with yeah, that I'm I about I'm now
1: I'm about 10 Daf behind but you know I managed I managed to catch up every Friday night or or Shabbos. so you know Wait you
2: catch up on
1: 10 Daf not every week and not every week am I 10 Daf behind but you know a lot I I I tell you the truth I uh, I, I work my way through the Daf with an English art scroll. Art scroll. I do not,
0: you know, I, I mean, do it's not, not. It's not even possible. How is it even possible to just make a laning on ten blot in Ksubis? It's not. It's not yeah. happening. It's, you
1: know, talk about Yavamis, You know, You're I right. I, yeah. I gave yeah. up on you yes. know uh, Aravind, Even with the coloring yeah. book, I just you know I just you know skipped my way through it. But you know, I'm going to. I'm seventy four. And, you know, I, I regret that when my brother was, you know, alive, you know, he would want me to learn with them constantly. And I would always find an excuse. Hmm. And now that, you know, he's not alive, I was at the Shas, Sema Shas, uh, a couple of years ago. In, Magical, in, in, by the way. Right. Magical. It, yeah, but it was also one of the coldest days in the history of my life. <laughs> right. uh, but I flew in, you know, my... Were you uh, in my, met my life? I was not at like MetLife and it was so cold I really yeah. thought I was going to not leave MetLife alive <laughs> and I had on all the clothing Listen, that I owned your I had all the clothing that I owned and I felt like I was naked wow. to be honest with you I know I was and there I was freezing I, I, <laughs> I flew in my son and, and uh, several of his children and I took my daughter's uh, uh, my daughter's husband and and his children who live in Lawrence and you know I felt like I was an interloper I felt like you know what i didn 't do this, and I looked around at many of the people there and I realized that there are people here who didn 't do it either, but they're you know they 're making believe and You might have I, seen me in the crowd right yes. so i i i I was quite impressed quite frankly yeah. I was overwhelmed with a the amount number of people and b the you know they they catered this event as if it were like a, a wedding. And, uh, you know, I got my tickets through the Aguda, so I could have paid for the wedding uh, by, the, by the time I paid for, I don't know, 10, 15, 15 uh, tickets and the car fair and the airfare. But it was a great day. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, I uh, was quite impressed. And I, I sort of decided then that I was going to try and do it. And I, I like it. And what I like about it is even if there's nothing that I take away from a particular a duff. I find one or two nuggets in a lot of the in a lot of the work. When I say nuggets, you know, a nugget to me is a little piece of gold. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I like and I don't remember where I read this. I like the fact that according to the daf, it's not a bad idea to start a serious discussion with some appropriate humor because it drags in the crowd and it makes them want to listen and then you you know you know it's not my style but it's something that i've appreciated uh, over the years you know and you know when i so and then when they you know when i'm learning now in Ksubis, you know you really need you know my my grandson said to me look you know you, you have to understand that chass is not a rule book you can't learn what the halakha is from right. it. because to it's me not it's, the Shofanara. right it's not, exactly. but it was it was frustrating because you know you're You'd read it off and it would be, you know, a lot of barices and a lot of stories and a lot of people weighing in. And I found, first of all, that I liked the debate, because in my world, professionally, there's no right or wrong in many cases. It's what was the person thinking at the time. What were they intending to do? A lot of my cases That's the Gavada, facts yeah. a lot of my cases the facts are not in dispute. And sometimes the best defense is to not fight things that you can't win, and to stand up and say, I don't know what they're talking about. They're going to prove this, 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 and this. I concede that these things happen. That's not what this trial is about. This trial is about what did my client mean when they submitted these documents to the bank. Did he intend to defraud the bank, or was he over his head and when he filled out these materials? So it, a lot of it you know, resonates with me. I get it. By now I know what I can just you know i can get through and i don't have to study until i memorize it because you know to be honest with you in yavamis for example there's a whole discussion about you know you can you know marry your brother's wife and even the grandmother and her mother right. and the mother's mother Shnein, right and i'm thinking to myself why would you want to you know <laughs> but, you know it's not the it's the halacha you need to do this so we had my brother's my son's uh, some of my son's children in a restaurant a little while ago and we were sitting in a restaurant and in walked three old women and I mean they were pushing 90 and, I, and one of them we had just covered that in, in the DAP and I turned around to one of the kids who I you know who I knew had just learned it and I said you see those women? He says if you wanted to you could marry, marry them and you know if your brother died God forbid you know these are the women they're talking about and he laughed so hard I thought the food was going <laughs> to come through his, you know, nose. So it's you know it's an interest to me. It's, if you have a sense of humor and if you like dealing with this stuff, and I'm not trying to memorize it, and I'm trying to, I'm not trying to be a Talmud Chacham. And what constantly surprises me is there's something interesting that I take away. At the end of the day from each from just about, yeah, just from reading
0: the art scroll so well, I, I mean i, I don 't want you to feel like there aren't a, a ton of other people that are just plowing through it I mean look you got to get through it I hope you <laughs> <Say> it, <laughs> this i'm, I'm, I'm
2: up. on your'm on the same same program as you <laughs> right but
0: I, i'm just curious if if when you 're learning gumara, does it have any effect in the on the work that you do sometimes do you, yeah, does it like translate into sometimes you 'll see a case and well you know, apply a, like even in your Sometimes. mind. Sometimes, You know, now I'm, you know, I'm learning
1: about the different, you know, penalties between an intentional murder and the manslaughter, you know, if you meant to kill somebody, if you didn't. But so I, I deal with that all the time right. in a, in a murder case, because, you know, one of the things you try and get is an instruction from a judge. We call it a lesser included offense. You know, you can't kill somebody without meaning to kill them. But if you didn't mean to kill them, but they die, it's really not murder. So sometimes, to be honest with you, you can hope for a compromise verdict. And the difference between intentional murder and manslaughter could mean the rest of your life in prison or maybe three, four, five years in prison. And sometimes a dumb lawyer, and I hope I'm never considered to be a dumb lawyer, a dumb lawyer will go for broke. Will say, no, 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 I want to go all all or nothing. And they try and convince a jury that you don't have anything to do with the crime, where the evidence is overwhelming. And if they stood up and said, you want to find my client guilty, okay, but he didn't mean to kill this person. And the evidence on that count is very weak. So if you need to convict him, don't convict him of intentional murder. And you need to make a very careful decision. You need to make certain the client understands what you're doing. You need to sort of explain to a court, you know, why you're doing it and how you're going to do it. And if you don't do that, if there is a conviction, you end up getting, you know, not sued by the client, but there's going to be a motion for ineffective assistance of counsel. And, you know, believe it or not, even if you try a perfect case, and even if you do everything right, the vulnerability you have at times is there's a lawyer out there who would love to take you down. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, part of what I deal with all the time is professional envy, you know, and it's not, it's not a good quality among my profession, but, you know, the lawyers who wrote me notes congratulating me when Puff Daddy was found not guilty, you know, I looked at some of them. Some of them were well-intended by people who are real friends, and some were written to me by people who I have no doubt in my mind were praying that he gets... Uh, convicted so that they wouldn't have to deal with another you know Braffman acquittal so right. then they write me a letter um, because what they want is for me to think of them as a friend in case I have a case that needs another lawyer so it would it was sort of like uh, yeah kind of, people are uh,
0: trying to ingratiate themselves to right. you so that they can get on the map and it's like ki him that's what uh, Gamar talks about that uh, you know it, it when you're jealous of somebody else, it's supposed to make you better. It's supposed to make you better at what you you do yourself.
1: Yeah, but I, I tell you the truth, I see, I see. You know, there's a what's the halachi You're supposed to be happy with your lot in life, and you're not supposed to envy. You know, that's part of the seres adibris. Yep. You know, and yes, and uh, for sure, you know. So I see that all the time, where people are just um, envious, not just of professional, but you know, your neighbor, your your friend. You know, and I. I say it all the time, and it, and it really bothers me when it manifests itself. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not a great person. I think I have my flaws. But, you know, on balance, you know, given what I have to work with, I'm not a terrible
0: person. All right. So, I mean, on the first part, we'll agree to disagree. I think you're a, a, an amazing person. I think what you do for the, for the Orthodox community here and in Israel is, is tremendous. I think... Like you were saying at the outset, it it's, it's goes unnoticed because it doesn't make national headlines. The work you do for the Orthodox community and the things that nobody ever finds out about. But it
1: doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily go, go unnoticed. You know, um, I'm a master of ceremonies um, in many dinners. And, you know, I, I, my wife says to me, sometimes you've got to say no. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to say no. And so in the last ten years, maybe six years... I've probably done a hundred events where I'm not getting paid, where I uh, am asked to, you know, run a program for a shul or for a cause or for, a, and I do it. I think I do it well, um, you know, to the extent that I've been, you know, given some skill set that allows me to, you know, to s- public, speak sure. well, you know, address the public, not get nervous when you stand up in, in public. You know, I've managed to translate it in that. Uh, bio that's in front of you, you know, you you look at the organizations that not only I support, you know, financially, and I don't want to, you know, toot my own horn, but there are many, and, you know, to the extent that the the cheder is now, you know, a lot of it is on my back, it's allowed me to say, you know, when people call me and say, you know, I'm making a wedding for somebody, can you help me? I would say, you know, I'm building a cheder in Israel, I'm supporting, you know, hundreds of uh, family and a staff how about I give you a check and you give me a check and then suddenly you know the conversation I'll get back to you you (laughs) and I have look I'll tell you the truth one of the things that I've managed to do um, and I think I do it as effectively as any mishulach I am in a (laughs) position where people call me on occasion and say "I, I have a question I need you to help me give me some advice and they ask me a question and you know because of my experience I'm able to re- give them some advice, and I don't. And they say to me, just send me a bill. And I say, um, I'm not going to send you a bill, but you know, I'm, I'm building a cheyder or supporting a cheder. So if you want to give me a check, here's the name. And it's interesting. Some people you know, send you $500, and you know, every once in a while you get a check for $50,000. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, And the people you get the $50,000 from are the, the last person. That you would, you would expect it from. And right. the people who you would you know, expect it from, you know, to them, $500 is a lot of money.
0: I, yeah, it's a funny thing the way you know, you, you can never judge. Sometimes it's the people with the most money that are the, that the, are the tightest. They have yeah. short arms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the people that are just basic, they're like, no, they want to give. Right, so, but I, I, was, I just want to tell you something. Sure. The one thing
1: um, I'm most proud of, and it's part of my job, so it's easy for me, I I give people the benefit of the doubt. And for the most part, it's a big problem in the from community as much as in any other community where, you know, they hear a rumor, suddenly it turns into a fact, suddenly it turns into a scandal. And I will tell you the worst part, and I I say this candidly, I get a call every once in a while um, saying to me, I don't want you to tell me about their case, but I know X, you know, had a problem you know, 25 years ago, so can you tell me what the family is like? And I said, Why are you asking me the question? He says, Of course, my granddaughter is looking to go out with their grandson, and I want to make certain. And I say to them, Boy, oh boy, you should be ashamed of yourself. How much, how many decades need have, to, go to, by. have right. to pass before somebody gets the benefit of doubt or an approval rating? How often do you get. And you know, and I hang up the phone. I say I'm just not having this discussion, and I'll tell you the truth. And I don't remember, and I know it's, and, and I, I've learned this recently. And the one thing about you know doing the, I don't remember anymore, you know whether it's in psachim or magillah or. And I'll, <laughs> don't worry, <laughs> we're not testing you. <laughs> no, but I'll tell, I'll tell you there is, there's something to be said for the fact that you got to give people the benefit of the doubt, and you know it's, it's important. For and sure. I'll tell you one last, one last. Uh, the, the reason why Yevamis and Ksubas are so difficult for me is they sort of suck you in with easy mesechdas. You know, psachim, you know, etanus. You know, these are fun. They're easy. They're quick. You're going to get through it. You look at the number of and
0: Yeah, and 30, and, I can handle 30. Right, 30. <laughs> I can,
1: and I'll tell you something else. You know, every once in a while I, I agree to do a sim, which to me is still remarkable. But I have, you know, every, every 20 minutes, you know, my brother had eight children, and each one had eight or ten children. So in my family, you could have a bar mitzvah or a bris At um, any given time. Every, every hour. You know, if you,
2: <laughs> and then you need a hole for each. No, anything. No,
1: it's it's just... And if you go to one of their, you know, simchus and, you know, the kids are running around and someone yells, Arun my brother's name, 35 children <laughs> turn around. Turn around. <laughs> but I'll tell you what's interesting. Sometimes the simchus works out, you know, perfectly because uh, with the, with the there was a, a, a pidgin aben that I was giving a simchus for and I just finished psachim. And the last paragraph deals with what you're supposed to say to a pidgin aben. And I'm saying, how great is that? The timing is perfect. For the first time in my life, I'm giving a sium, And sure enough, it's perfect to the occasion. Oh, so There's
0: God, a lot of Siyat with the DAF. You get a lot of, it's just, some things line up with the Parsha, with the DAF, with the Simcha. It's, it's unbelievable. So I'll tell you one last thing, because you didn't mention it. And I know
1: you, I, I, I about two and a half years ago, I fell. And
2: I it guess. was really
1: a bad fall. I fell on my head from 15 feet up, and I landed on a marble floor and I was basically dead you know my wife found me and I was she said to me she's funny she said to me you look like one of your crime scene photos you know
0: <laughs> you're laying there it's in not a, funny I don't
1: mean to laugh No, it, but it's funny it's just you're laying there in a pool of blood you're unconscious she said I'll tell you two things which I found quite remarkable first of all um, when Hatsala came into the house they were carrying a life pack that we had donated. Oh, wow. wow. And so I said, to, I said to her, she told me about it afterwards, I said to her, see, every once in a while, it's a good idea to give tzedakah, <laughs> you know, and, we, you know, comes Sometimes. around, goes around, comes around, yeah. and um, my, my son, who by then had a uh, cheder of, it was over 200 people in the cheder at that point, and, you know, I go there, I'm like the celebrity, because not only do they, you know, know me, but I'm like the... The big
0: veer from America.
1: Well, so, but I, I'm I go the there... you the father and ha-
2: of the manal. I have
1: fun of them. I'm the father of the manahel. Right. And, you know, there a lot of people saying, tell them for me. And I was in the hospital when I woke up. You know, I, I don't know whether this is me thinking this or actually thinking it, but I, he said to me, you know, I tell you why Hashem saved you. Because there were like a couple of hundred kids are crying for you. And they say that Hashem listens to the tefillahs of young children more than so...
0: They're untainted by sin.
1: Right. And I'll tell you the truth. Not only did I live, thank God, but, you know, I have people, I know people who fell off one step and they're paraplegics now or they're crippled or they lost the ability to speak. So not only did I not die, but thank God I made a pretty good uh, comeback, recovery. So.
0: Pretty amazing. amazing. So
1: I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, appreciative.
0: Yeah. So I think you know. the whole Jewish world is pretty appreciative too. I mean, thank God you're back. I would never have known yeah. if you didn't mention it.
2: So this has been unbelievable and very gracious of you. One thing I wanted to know is: Does your son's yeshiva have a website that we could post where they could donate, where listeners can donate yes. money? Yes. So Excellent. it's. Uh,
1: the, the American one is American Friends Torah Tefila. It's Taurus Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, Taurus Aaron. And it's in Ramat Eshkol, Yerushalayim. But whoever is listening and they want to send a check, tell them to send it to me, because I take care of the banking as an uh, American Friends. It's got a, a 501c3 tax deduction. Everything's 100%. And, there's no commission I charge as the mashulach, so if you give them a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars goes course. to the
0: cheder. Yeah, so. just make sure you put Kiddish Club in the memo. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna include that in the show notes. So uh, if you're listening, check out the show notes, and we're gonna give you uh, instructions on how you could send to this really unbelievable cause, beautiful, beautiful yeshiva that that was started and has just grown tremendously, and he, it should continue to grow. You should continue to be successful. But from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you. This You're was welcome. a lot of fun. Thank you, you very sir are welcome.
0: Did enjoy it. All Thanks right. again. Thank you all for listening. You know, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Kiddish Club Cast. You can find us on Instagram at Kiddish Club Podcast. If you enjoy the episode, do us a favor and share it with your friends, your family. Drop it in a WhatsApp chat. And speaking of WhatsApp, you can follow us in the Kiddish Club WhatsApp group. That's where we drop our Videos that we discuss on the podcast, you'll find them there. Uh, Special features, bonus content, you will find it all on the WhatsApp group. You can find the link to it in these show notes or on our website. It's www.kiddishclubpodcast.com. Head over to Spotify and leave us five stars. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a written review with five stars and we would appreciate it. And, of course, you can send us your thoughts, comments, and suggestions by email at Hawk, H O C K, at Kiddish Club Kiddish Club out.